Episode 69 of The Passive Hang, I have Sondre Berg joining us on the podcast, who is a mover and coach based over in Norway. And for those that know, if you head over to his Instagram page, you'll see that this guy, he can pretty much do anything. He can flip, he can one-arm handstand, he can take on these incredible strength skills such as the one-arm handstand push-up if you can believe it. And it's not just all about the physical, as you'll find out, as Sondre also is about to complete his PhD. And when getting into the conversation, you'll see how he is rooted into the depths of science and research to back up his own training methods and teaching, which is really interesting to find out. All right, guys, well, we're gonna get started. Hope you guys enjoy. I'll see you in the episode. Hey everyone, welcome back to The Passive Hang. I have Sondre Berg on the podcast, who is a, um, yeah, a coach currently residing in Norway and um, really excited to have you on here because, yeah, I think you're one of these um, unique people that can do some things out there that I haven't quite seen before as, um, in the whole bodyweight strength realm there's a lot of creativity or a lot of pushing into certain areas where uh it's it's a bit more uncommon so i'm really keen to find out a bit more about the man behind you know all these uh jaw-dropping skills sometimes and then find a bit more about you and your approach to to life and to training so welcome on to the podcast thank you so much it's a pleasure to be here and i'm frankly i'm honored to to have been invited and uh, looking forward to this so one point uh where i wanted to start off with was uh, and you mentioned in um uh the email when we're setting up this chat was that you're actually currently studying a phd at the moment um what field is that in is that re- movement related or something else <laughs> i wish i could say that it was uh that would give me some more impact i guess but uh it's actually in electrical engineering, so it's a totally different field. Um, so actually, when I started studying, I was sort of choosing between, because already then I was quite interested in you know movement and training and stuff like this. So I was considering either doing um, uh, movement sciences or engineering. or And actually, I also considered... Uh, physiotherapy but in the end i ended with ended up with engineering um, so and environmental in environmental engineering for five years master degree and then electrical engineering specialty in the last two years and then now almost four years of my phd and yeah what's your interest there in engineering and i mean to take it to phd level as well is that's a lot of years yeah, it is. And I've been super interested in these kinds of things. Uh, and I've found it um, mostly uh, super interesting, the whole journey. And, you know, it's also been kind of nice to sort of have these two different lives um, where uh, my hobby is sort of the movement training and uh, calisthenics, body weight strength, hand balancing, stuff like this. And when I go to work, then something completely different um but then again uh i never sort of planned to actually make a living out of 
this hobby either, which is sort of what's, uh, what things are turning into, uh, which is also super exciting. And uh, now I just need to finish my PhD so I can dedicate some time to see where that road sort of leads me onto. Yeah, it's nice sometimes when you have um, these different sides of you which um, can interest you in different ways, right? And um, I was wondering if you, I don't know if you have any thoughts on it, but um, do you sort of see any, um, any relationships between what you study and your, your hobby? Well, uh, the practice of research, obviously, uh, which is a very general a sort of skill uh, and set of skills to have uh, to be able to uh, find research and to evaluate research whether or not it's um, properly performed. Um, that is uh, something I think uh, it's not necessarily something you need to study to learn though it's something you can learn by yourself too but it's something that I've appreciated a lot and I I almost read as much research on strength training and movement as I do <laughs> uh, with my professional uh, PhD studies. So um, that's definitely something you, you have a big carryover, regardless of what you sort of research into. And I mean, anyone can be a researcher, so to say. It's just a bit more conformed, I guess, when you, you're doing it at the university. Mm. And how do you manage all this time between, you know, like, um, I imagine you train quite a bit and now you're starting up <clears throat> or you're investing your time within your business Berg movement and then you're finishing off this PhD. Like, yeah, how, how do you sort of picture your schedule and how do you manage the, in particular, like uh, other than the time, the, the energy for all this? Well, um, it used to be very manageable uh, when it was just my training and my studying. <laughs> um, sort of training for me was has always been uh, uh, sort of relaxing and just letting go of everything else. You can sort of just be in the moment and focus on yourself entirely, uh, as well as, you know, you, you meet the communities and you, you spend time with people that um, are like you, similar to you in, in other ways. Uh, so that's also very liberating uh, in, in many ways. Um, but to be completely honest, uh, the last year has been um, difficult uh, <laughs> to manage time. Um, especially as my business is growing and, you know, with, uh, I've been doing some, some coaching and developing this, this app and programs and, you know, I want everything to be, to be good. So I end up spending a lot of time doing everything. Um, but now it's, it's at the end of, uh, that stressful phase, I believe, as I'm about to deliver my PhD in the end of August and I can uh, take a breather and focus entirely on, on one thing, uh, which will be my, my own business and my movement training, uh, at least for the next year or two. Well, it's only 
what a few more weeks until you hand in that PhD and um, yeah, you can, you, you can focus more on this whole side. So yeah, I'm, I'm really excited to see what you share and keep on continually sharing because yeah, you, I mean, you already seem to be sh- uh, sharing and, and doing a lot, right? So when you have more of that focus, uh, yeah, I wonder what's going to come of it. Um, I know it's going to be really exciting, but um, maybe tracking back to sort of with your, your training history, you know, when you first got into this whole whole realm, when you first started, like, yeah, what, what was your initial go with it or, or desire like did you did you see something and you were just like you know i really want that muscle up or something how did it all start for you well it's it's uh, it's sort of a combination uh i always sort of um was drawn towards um spectacular movements of any kind it's never something that i dedicated my time to uh, because I always figured, you know, it's, that's just superhuman or whatever. But ever since I was a child, I remember like me and a friend, we were watching movies and, um, you know, we were watch- watching like martial arts movies and uh, different like sci-fi movies. And whenever there was like a cool flip or a cool move or something like that, we would like uh, with these old VHS videos, we would... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> go back back and forth back and forth to these movements and like whoa this is super crazy and i also had a trampoline as a child um which i had super fun with uh, you know learning to to backflip front flip and all of that stuff uh, but i never uh, liked the gymnastics and even at some point i was super interested in parkour mm-hmm. um, but then there was no community to um, sort of share this with so I never ever got to sort of delve into this uh, on, a, on a deep level and as a kid I did all of the usual stuff you know and to play football or soccer or whatever you want to call it um, and I did skateboarding for like 10 years actively um, and then yeah at some point I think after uh, high school, uh, I first went traveling and then I had a year in the army, uh, you know, this compulsory, which is not so compulsory anymore. Uh, okay. thing. Yeah. Yeah. And during that time is sort of when I experimented more with strength training. Uh, at that time, I just wanted to, you know, grow some muscles, get bigger, you know, the usual uh, when you're a teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah. I can't pinpoint the exact moment, but it was uh, at some time around then uh, that I uh, got to see some people on YouTube doing like muscle ups and human flags and handstand push ups. And I was like, I'd much rather be able to do that. (laughs) (laughs) And it was like a switch. Uh, And from then I dedicated a lot of time into researching like how to to approach this um, and I wasn't very skilled neither in the art of strength training by itself you know sets and reps and programming and stuff like this or in the body weight specific uh, things you need to consider like progressing uh, using progressions and 
uh, goal setting of different and using strategies to reach these goals. So it's been a long journey, but it's been super, super interesting. And it sort of just kept growing on me and mm. diverging into different directions. Uh, I mean, handstands, I originally wanted to learn just because I wanted to learn handstand push-up. Mm-hmm. Uh, then I was like, handstanding is pretty cool. And <laughs> then I wanted to learn some other handstanding stuff. And then suddenly I was on the road to to learning one-arm handstands. And, and yes, yeah, sort of things, the ball sort of kept rolling. And uh, yeah, now I'm... Uh, there's so many, I still have so many goals in different, uh, different directions that, um, it's almost, um, <laughs> it's almost, uh, not manageable, but, um, that's sort of a bit fun too, though, that you always have something to, mm. to reach towards. Yeah. It's well, I mean, it seems like you have figured something out, right. And, um, I mean, to all the listeners out there, I think, uh, I recommend to you, you shared recently like a 10 year transformation video. I think it's on YouTube as well. And you know, that, um, I think that's really nice as well because it puts that sort of length of time in perspective of, you know, how long it's taken for all this development. Right. Um, and, uh, on this part around goals, right. Uh, yeah, I guess what, what are your current sort of training focuses or goals and, um, I guess to expand on that as well, how, what's your understanding around goal setting and how you set goals at the moment, you know, versus maybe when you're first starting and, you know, yeah, and just approaching anything, how do you think about it? Well, um, I mean, there are many ways to sort of depends on your goals. Uh, well, um, for me, I've always had very um, wide set of goals, um, very generalistic approach, or it has actually gotten more and more generalistic as I've, um, as I've grown. Um, but it's totally fine to be very specific as well. I know a lot, a lot of people prefer this because the more you dedicate your time into a specific skill, the, the better you, you'll get at that skill. On the other hand, um, when you have a um, generalistic set of goals or many different goals, then you may not see as much progress in every individual skill, um, but you will always see progress somewhere if you program uh, good, of course. Uh, you could always end up in the situation where you don't see progress anywhere, which is not a good situation. But then you sort of need to reiterate with your programming and see uh, where it went wrong. So um, for me right now, uh, I, I still have a lot of goals strength-wise. Um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty... Um, I've always been... Uh, pretty uh, high level at pushing skills mm-hmm. um, and I've always also focused on you know uh, good pulling strength you know like front levers one arm pull up stuff like this um, and I try to always progress in all of these different 
um, let's say, base calisthenic skills. Mm. So for me, that will be for the pulling part. You have a pull up of different kinds. For me, I'm still practicing one arm pull ups. Uh, I can do a couple uh, decent ones on a good day, but mm. I want these to be like better, more reps, uh, stronger, you know. Uh, front lever is also one of these basic pulling body weight skills um, and I I can do a front lever uh, but I want to do it longer um, and yeah uh, on a good day I can do perhaps uh, up to 10 seconds of a full front lever um, wouldn't mind that being something like 30 seconds mm-hmm. and you know stuff like muscle ups is not something that I train uh, dedicated towards uh, i mean i could practice more advanced uh, uh, muscle up variations as well but this is something that i've sort of uh, put aside for now and in the pushing realm of pushing strength um, i have a main goal that's pretty hairy and that's the the one arm handstand push-up which is yet to be done um but I, I, have, um, I have seen those training clips so <laughs> yeah so I'm, I'm training pretty dedicated towards this um and i'm not sure if i'll ever be able to do it but i do know from i do know that i'm getting stronger from training for it um and i've progressed a lot uh, i think i've been practicing it for a couple of years now um and the progress have been great. Uh, so if it's not possible and if I end up not being able to do it, I still got pretty strong trying, you know, so. <laughs> I think so. <laughs> um, yeah. And then, uh, you know, I still practice uh, 90 degree uh, push-ups to, to, um, to keep that uh and to have some progress uh, with uh, 90 degree push-up variations um and that's that that yeah and the planche obviously um i always had a hard time with the planche and i'm starting to see some decent full planche holds and i also want these to be more than just decent you know but yes, yeah, strength, uh, straight arm strength can be a pain in the ass, mm. <laughs> uh, to say the least. And it's so individual um, how difficult it is um, in terms of uh, your body proportions and stuff like this. Um, but yeah, so strength-wise, those are sort of my goals now, I guess. But I, I'm guessing as well, because I know you have a broader practice as well. Um, yeah, do you, do you have other goals as well around like the acrobatics or around, you know, your sort of leg strength as well? Um, you know, if so, yeah, well, what, are the, what are those centered yeah, around? Yeah. Well, um, in terms of uh, legs um, right now, I, I've usually had like, um, let's call it uh, chunks, uh, of training periods where I focus on leg strength and mostly it's to increase my vertical jump so that I can flip better you know and then for long periods I, my, my 
most of my leg training would actually be practicing acrobatics, flips, uh, stuff like this, because um, that by itself is more than enough to not necessarily progress too much, but at least to keep it um, where it is, nickel parts of you know jumping and flipping and twisting in in different in different ways. And I obviously do a lot of handstands. I have a lot of handstand goals as well, um, which, which is also uh, partly subject to periodization of my training um, in periods where I focus more on developing strength. Uh, then I may not have as much time to focus on. Depends on what you define as much time, though. I I'd always have like. Um, short sessions every day for handstanding and a couple of uh, longer sessions um, and then i'd have periods of time where i i may may have long handstand sessions every day um but yeah the one arm handstand is uh, i i still want to get it better you know mm. uh, do those cooler shapes um, and just be um super comfortable upside down on one arm well i really admire how you know you keep on wanting to to keep refining to keep on working on uh, on these skills where um you know for most people they're just working up to just just these 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 skills or regressions below it right so i have a, a lot of respect about um that and especially how you start getting creative with certain goals you know such as the the one arm um, handstand push up, um, which, um, yeah, is, is certainly very interesting, but, uh, yeah, once, uh, you mentioned for, for pulling, it sounded like this doesn't come so easy to you versus the, the, the pushing, um, you know, do you have any sort of, uh, theories or wondering like, what, why does the push come so easy to you versus the pulling? Is it a certain trait of yours or a, a body type? Well, all ego aside, it could be because I'm much better at pushing and finding much more fun. And, the, <laughs> you know, that's pretty common as well. Um, but I, I, I like to think at least that uh, I've trained as hard for the pulling strength and skills. Uh, but in reality, uh, when I do my play times, uh, I usually spend a lot of time messing around with my strength and making creative sequences and trying to just be creative and have fun. And when I do that, it's mostly uh, push related and handstand variations and stuff like this. So it could be that this, the time I spend doing this actually has an impact on my overall strength. Um, but as a coach, I have also seen that people are, people have, different bodies uh, it's quite obvious and some people tend to get uh, some things much easier than others some people have a natural pull strength and other have natural push strength some people are just like in between you know they 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 can get pretty decent at both everyone can get super strong uh, you know in everything but some people have a tendency to to get stronger in um, in some 
kinds of strength training. Um, at least uh, that's how it seems. And this is not based on research whatsoever. It's just an observation that I've made um, based on hundreds of people. Uh, so uh, you can take from that whatever you want. But um, I think that there's something to it. Um, and that could be body proportions, you know, the 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 length of your forearms compared to the length of your upper arms, the length of your arms compared to your total body length, uh, for example, has a major impact on the difficulty of a front lever and a plunge. Um, so, and sometimes it's actually counterintuitive as well. Because uh, I mean, the longer you are, obviously the harder these uh, levers are going to be, but the longer your arms are compared to your body, the easier they're going to be mm. uh, because you need a, a smaller angle of attack and your muscles are much stronger in the position. And uh, there are these uh, effects that can <laughs> end up being quite complex biomechanically speaking. And that's, I wouldn't say that's a specialty of mine, uh, but um at least it's based on uh, observations um, I've made. And I've, I, I have worked with hundreds of, of students by now since I started coaching uh, five, six, seven years ago, something like that. Yeah, it's something that I've uh, noticed. So yeah, uh, there could be many things. Yeah, it's something that I've noticed uh, even with guests that I've had on as well. And, and people have noted, you know, some things... Um, definitely come easier to, to them versus others. And I think, yeah, that's a good summary of the sort of reasons that I've had in, in, in my head. Maybe sometimes it's just a general volume thing, especially like a unprogrammed volume thing that, you know, you just enjoy, you know, climbing more or uh, working on the floor more. So that definitely, yeah. definitely helps. Um, but otherwise, yeah, there is something to do with that. Yeah. Certain ways that the body structure is, um, is, is able to take the load and, and load up um, not only the muscles, but the tendons as well, which biases you. you towards like pushing versus pulling. But yeah, I, I always um, find it, find it interesting to, to try and see what, what the hypothesis is. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it can get so complex um, that uh, I think it's uh, difficult to say something with, 100% certainty but what we can say for sure though is that people are different and um, and that's a great thing and um, some people are good at some things and others are good at other things there's always something that you can excel in I guess yeah and so you listed off you know you're actually juggling quite a, a few goals there um, and one thing that I know is that the more advanced that you get, the more time you actually have to dedicate to keep on reaching the, the next level as well. So, and, and normally that results in um, that you have to specialize somewhat to uh, and narrow your, your goals as well to, to raise it to the next level. So how do you sort of manage all this around? Like uh, I know, um, and I've heard some people say like, even for the pushing, like 90 degree versus planche, sometimes at some point you, you might need to focus more on one versus the other. Cause then otherwise like the overall load, if you kind of want to 
push both, it might be a bit too much to recover from. So yeah, how, how do you maybe, you know, even right now, how do you program for yourself and, and juggle all this around and still make progress? Well, uh, I think you're, yeah, uh, I think um, that people are, well, people can be a bit too conservative uh, when it comes to how much they dare to venture into. Um, because in, in my view, uh, a lot of these uh, different skills, they, they um, have a very different set of load on the tendons, on the muscles. So you can, you can easily train them simultaneously. Uh, you, you obviously have some general limits in terms of, you know, um, uh, what do you call it? Uh, yeah, you, you get um, sort of a general fatigue, central nervous system fatigue, stuff like this. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, let's say for the example of the 90 degree push up and a plunge, those would be pretty similar in terms of loading, but they would still be sufficiently different uh, in order for you to be able to train both and see progress in both. Because if you train only 90 degree push-ups, your punch wouldn't get any better. Uh, and I think that's also a sign uh, or sort of uh, proof to, to put it that way, that uh, you're loading the, different, uh, the muscles differently for these two balls. So you have the rule of specificity, obviously, you get strong in the exact range that you train, stuff like this, um, which is not uh, necessarily uh, uh, a hard limit, so to say. Um, you have carryover everywhere. Uh, but in moves where you see very little carryover, then you can also assume that you train your muscles differently. Uh, so I always recommend people to, uh, if they in the long term want to learn both the plunge and the handstand push-up, uh, the handstand push-up would obviously be, be the prequel to the 90 degree push-ups. Um, then I, I, I never saw the point in choosing one of them because that will just take much longer. If you first want to learn handstand push-ups before you start your plunge journey, that's so much wasted time in terms of uh, specific strength. Uh, it's, uh, it may, if you train both at the same time, it may take a bit longer before you learn the handstand push-ups compared to if you had only trained the handstand push-up. But then at the time you are able to do both of them uh, would be much shorter than if you split them into learning one first and then focusing on the other. And then you'd lose strength in the other one, which you're not focusing on anymore and stuff like this. So uh, at the very least for calisthenics, I, in terms of goals, I always recommend people to program one straight arm pushing skill, one straight arm pulling skill, and two to four bent arm push and pulling skill. So up to six strength-wise, so to say. And then at the side of this, obviously, uh, legs and maybe some core training specific to your goals. Uh, you know, you have, a, you, have a, you have some requirements uh, for both the planche and front lever core-wise, which could be nice to focus on, yeah. but it, it's actually not uh, something that you need 
because you poor will develop together with all of these other skills as well. Um, but you know, um, you may get slightly quicker progress by doing some specific core work related to these goals, particularly the, the plunge and the front lever. And um, this is interesting with, uh, yeah, say someone has these, these goals and um, you're programming for them. Like um, I know you probably take like various approaches fit with, with everyone, but um, do you have. Um, yeah. Individuality is super important. Yeah. Do you, um, yeah, do you have any thoughts with sort of programming structure with how you like to, because um, sometimes, uh, you know, very common thing is maybe you might split it up like straight arm session versus bend arm session, or it's like push, pull and legs, or it's like full body. Um, and then if you have those sort of goals, um, so, you know, sometimes as well, you, you need to, if you want to more prioritize one, it might be more like an A or a B series versus like coming later on. Yeah. How do you... Um, how do you help someone sort of navigate that way? And do you have a preference with uh, how you like to go and structure sessions? Yeah. So um, in my, in my app for all levels, I, I have programs uh, usually split into either full body uh, work, workouts, or you have the um, push pull legs, the classic, you know, sort of uh, bodybuilding approach, I guess. And then also straight arm, bent arm, which is a very unique sort of programming for uh, calisthenics and gymnastics and stuff like this. Um, and in my opinion, it's not necessarily one that's better than the other. Um, but uh, the straight arm, bent arm is definitely more intense because you basically train your whole body more or less every day, but you, you hit your muscles differently, uh, which is why it can be sustainable. And I've seen plenty of progress both in myself and in students using this, but you can get equally as good um, progress with any other. Uh, it depends. It's very individual. And I always recommend people to sort of test out uh, do some period periodization and let's say you try the, the bent arm straight arm for a couple of months, see how it works. And you need to uh, listen to your body always. And uh, even though I may recommend a certain amount of workouts a week, uh, that's not necessarily the best for that individual. You need to see how well they um, can sustain that volume. Uh, Perhaps they even need more volume. Uh, I think people are also way too restrictive on their volume uh, in their training. Uh, because what people don't realize is that uh, as you get stronger, your muscles also get more resistant to fatigue and uh, tear and um, stuff like this. So uh, volume is increasing volume is a necessity uh, of uh, progressing as well. Mm. Uh, in the same way as increasing intensity. Um, so yeah, it depends on the level of the person, how much time you have. If you have three times a week for working out, full body workouts all the way. If you want to train every single day and maybe have a rest day every now and then, then push pull legs or straight arm bent arm if you really want to see how high volume program can lead you. 
And then within these, again, you need to do adjustments to the intra-workout volume, obviously. Um, and people, especially trained athletes, can sustain a much higher volume than, than they think usually. People are so afraid of overtraining. Yeah, that there's been it's become this thing overtraining. Ooh, hmm. it's like have, have you ever known anyone who suffered from proper overtraining? Yeah, well, there, there's a difference between um, overtraining or they call it over. Uh, uh, what do they call it? Chronic overtraining syndrome or something like that, uh, which is a, an actual thing uh, that people have gotten very afraid of which is almost exclusively seen in, uh, in high-level athletes who train every single day and often several times a day. You know, Olympic athletes, um, high-competitive athletes. And then you have, um, you have uh, fatigue or not recovering in the short term well enough. And these are things that we can handle quite easily by just listening to our bodies. You know, if, if, if this week I do a set of workouts and the next week, then I perform equally as well, or even better then I, I have recovered well enough. That's a definite sign of recovery. If I perform worse, uh, week after week, then obviously there's something uh, wrong. And if I'm training consistently, that's most likely not because of too little volume, then it's more likely due to a too high volume. Um, so uh, it, it, it may take a quite, quite a lot of effort to experiment with on yourself with these things, but I think that's a very important uh, aspect of strength training, uh, to learning, learning to know your limits and um, learning to push yourself uh, just enough uh, without it being too much and it's not <laughs> it's a continuous spectrum too it's not like oh if i add one more set then boom overtraining progress gone you know <laughs> <laughs> it, it's a continuous spectrum so you have some sort of optimal volume which you will probably never reach but you should try your best to sort of find out where on this curve uh you you can sustain uh, both time-wise and progress-wise. And if you, if you start adding volume and you see your, your progress is sort of decreasing, you're feeling fatigued, you're not performing as well, then decrease your volume. And if you're stuck, uh, which a lot of people get, uh, they get to these uh, limits and they think like, oh, now I won't get any stronger, then why not try to increase your volume? Little by little, perhaps you'll see that you can sustain a much higher volume than you're already uh, training, you know. The, I, I just have to mention that there is a definite big difference between trained individuals and athletes and not trained. Uh, and I don't know where to put that limit, sort of. It's also a continuous spectrum. But according to research, and a lot of modern research, then um, volume is high volume training is a necessity uh, at some point. 
as you, as your body get more resistant to fatigue and yeah well i like this uh, um thought that well your body also adapts to all the stimulus right so the you can adapt to recover quicker as well right if you expose it to yeah. that's um exactly that increased volume yeah and uh and obviously there's a lot of other factors to it too i mean recovery is affected by many individual factors you, your genes i mean some people recover quicker than others that's just life uh diet has its impact on it uh rest or how how are you sleeping stress levels big time um so uh there is all of these other things which make it makes it very difficult to come up with this you know perfect program everyone's looking for it you know but uh everyone has their own perfect program <laughs> i think that's uh what people need to realize and not just perfect in terms of progress term perfect also in terms of how you uh, how you structure your workouts you want it to be doable in the long term you want it to be sustainable and you want it to not consume more time than you feel that you have Mm. Um, because people have different schedules different focuses you know some people just want to get stronger and get healthy and fit Uh, and I would never give them a program which has two workouts in a day, uh, you know. (laughs) And so when people, you know, start with you and start training with you, what are some of like the common mistakes or misconceptions that you think um, people have uh, when, when, um, uh, that that you've seen once you start guiding them? Um, Depends on the level. I mean, some people, they, they have quite a high fitness level from the beginning, uh, maybe have some background with lifting weights, uh, stuff like this. Uh, and in this case, it's uh, mostly the idea of progressions and how there is a million progressions, <laughs> not, just, uh, not just the three progressions you saw on the three weeks to plunge tutorial on YouTube. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> the, the progressions are also a continuous spectrum and you can always get creative and do small adjustments to increase intensity of the, the, the progression and the, the exercises. Uh, so I think this, this is a big one um, in most people, especially people coming from uh, weightlifting uh, the idea of progressions can be uh, kind of foreign Mm. Uh, for beginners uh, it's being able to push yourself properly usually that's a skill that's attained through sustained practice for a long time it's not something people are just able to do usually especially when it comes to strength because when you're training for strength you're using low reps and um, you're not sort of uh, failing in the same way. You don't get exhausted in the same way. You don't get the burn usually. Uh, so people start questioning, you know, is this effective? Uh, I can't feel the pump. Uh, my, uh, my heart rate doesn't go up, <laughs> uh, you know? 
um so it's the the idea that you you can get super strong even though you don't feel like your biceps is explode biceps is exploding um and there's a lot of these yeah these um these small things uh, as well as technical aspects of the moves um and that goes for everyone it was new to calisthenics and bodyweight training hand standing stuff like this uh it's realizing that there's a big technical aspect to almost everything and uh, being able to sort of divide and conquer in a way that you you can focus on the technique and you can isolate the strength for example in handstand push-up training uh, i see people always uh, emphasizing doing you know the 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 facing the wall handstand push-up that's the best one whatever because you're able to have a strict form um, but in my opinion using the the back to wall handstand push-up uh, if done correctly is much more powerful in terms of learning the technique and learning to balance the handstand push-up and for me it doesn't matter if your first handstand push-up has a banana shape i mean it's much easier to start off with a banana shape handstand push-up and then turn it into a strict one than it is to learn a strict one the first time you're doing it. Mm -hmm. um, so I use these two progressions, for example, overlapping each other, where you do one to focus on technique and the other to focus on strength, form, and uh, stuff like this. Um, so, yeah. Um, I think that's also some uh, something that um, a lot of people and when talking about form, being a form geek is not always a good thing. Obviously, yeah, <laughs> uh, a lot of people are like super strict, and uh, I don't know where they get it from, but somehow they have the idea that uh, whenever they learn a new skill, they're supposed to learn it perfect the first time around, and that's not very productive often. I mean, form has different functions. One of them is for a move to look pretty, which is not necessarily uh, something that's productive. Uh, another function of having good form uh, in a different way is to prevent injuries. And obviously this I always emphasize, but doing something without risk of injury is not necessarily the same as doing something and make it look pretty. I agree with you. And, you know, especially with this other thing around like the perfect handstand push-up, right? You know, I can guarantee for anyone out there, when you do your first handstand push-up, you don't give a shit about how that looks like at all. You're just happy that you got back up. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you shouldn't. And, and, and that's also some in some parts of the community where I think people are uh, not very nice. They're like, uh, you, you have someone doing their first handstand push-up and it looks terrible, obviously, but it's the first fucking handstand push-up. It's a great achievement. And then you have some, some someone saying, oh, this is bad form. Uh, your back is bent, blah, blah, blah. And trying to make him feel worse, you know, the, <laughs> make, make him feel bad about this achievement. The same with a handstand. I mean, I've... I've I rarely see people learning to do a strict handstand the first time they're doing a handstand. And still that's what some people try to get them to do. 
I, I can promise you that if, if you want your first handstand to have first 10 second handstand to be strict, then it's going to take you at least one extra year to learn to handstand. <laughs> you should obviously have a few of these forms, form keys in mind, uh, but you don't need to have a perfect line to do a handstand. And in the beginning, that's not where your focus should be either. You should focus on awareness, learning to balance, getting comfortable and learning to handstand, not learning to try to push your joints into positions that they aren't ready for. That's one of the biggest misconceptions, isn't it? Uh, that was an oh, yeah. important I mean, lesson for some me. people. Some people might consider my opinion as a misconception though. Um, but at least in, in my experience, this way you, you get more joy out, out of your training. And um, that's an important aspect too, especially uh, when starting to train as an adult. Um, and yeah, there's a big difference between coaching a seven-year-old uh, to be uh, athlete, uh, uh, elite gymnast uh, mm -hmm. than it is coaching a 25-year-old who just want to learn to do cool stuff and get fit and healthy. <laughs> <laughs> so jumping over to like a more specific topic, um, being like the 90 degree handstand push-up, because we are talking about handstand push-ups here. And even your, what you mentioned before about your approach with utilizing back to wall handstand push-ups, I, I think is like, is, is pretty interesting. You know, that's not something that I did myself either as well. So I kind of just wanted to uh, ask you about, um, yeah, if someone was approaching the development of a 90 degree handstand push-up, you know, uh, what would you recommend in terms of how they say they had one free handstanding uh, hand, handstand push-up, uh, you know, like how, how would you go from there to trying to approach this more, more advanced skill? Uh, yeah, so um, like you mentioned, I do I do have a YouTube tutorial on it, which I spent quite some time on, uh, which I think represents my uh, way of programming pretty well. So to sum this up, um, I, I used to tackle things from different directions. Um, and depending on what skill it is, it may or may not have a big technical aspect to it. In this case, it does have a big technical aspect to it. The 90-degree push-up is strength-wise super intensive, and it's very technical uh, as well. Mm. So um, I always like to include a technical sort of set of progressions, uh, as well as um, strength. Um, and in this case, since it's uh, actually a two-plane strength skill it's not vertical push or horizontal pushing it's both um i also like to attack it from two different directions strength wise um, because in the beginning it's impossible to practice the entire skill uh, and the entire range of motion so you sort of need to build it up from the bottom to the top and then from the top to the bottom, if that makes mm -hmm. sense. Yeah. <laughs> so first step, obviously learning to handstand push up and getting your handstand push up deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper all the way until you can uh, handstand push up chest to, to box um, is a good indicator that your vertical push strength is sufficient. 
And then from the other side, you need to build up the strength to first hold this sort of 90 degree low position, uh, which can be approached, for example, by doing pseudo plunge push-ups where you're leaning forwards in your push-ups. And it's, it can be a pain in the ass programming this exercise because how much do you lean? You never know. So I found that using the wall is a great way. So mm. you sort of find a way to measure the distance from the wall where you have your hands. Um, and if you, you want to use a ruler, then sure. But I found, found that using things that you always have on you is better. So in my case, whenever I measure distances from the wall, I use my hands and fingers to sort of count how many hands and uh, fingers away from the wall. And then you lean all the way so that you your head touch touches the wall and then perform your pseudo plunge push-ups um, from there without actually leaning onto the wall with your head, yeah. just using it as a reference, so to say. And as you get stronger, then you can uh, place your hands further and further away from the wall. And eventually you will be able to, uh, in, the, in the lowest position of the pseudo push-up to uh, lean forward so that your legs sort of lift off the ground in this uh, 90 degree hold strength or bent arm plunge strength or whatever you want to call it. Um, and yeah, uh, so, so that's sort of an approach to the, from the bottom up position. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you, you train your deep handstand push-ups, you're training this bottom strength. And then for the technical part, uh, you, you want to um, uh, try these sort of uh, dynamic variations where you use, uh, where you use momentum to, to help you through the range of motion. And one way to do this is to sort of arch your, lay on the ground, arch your back and sort of do this worm-like movement where you're rolling and then oh, yeah. pushing as you roll up. But this, in the beginning, this can be super difficult as well. So you could always also experiment with using band-assisted variations, just sort of get used to the range of motion, or you can try to do negatives and then um, sort of roll out on the bottom and jump up and do negatives just to develop some strength in there. Um, I think from a technical approach, uh, your roll-ups, uh, where you're arching your back and rolling and using momentum to, to get up, um, which is a, an achievement by itself. So it's important to realize that in, in the process of learning the 90 degree push-up, there, there are many achievements in between the handstand push-up and the 90 degree push-up that should, been, should be appreciated as well and can be used in creating pool combinations and um, um, yeah, and, and stuff like this. So um, there, there's no, yeah. There, there, there are many, many achievements that should be celebrated uh, in between milestones to be um, created. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, yeah, I like this um, thing you're pointing out here, which is like, don't recognize just the 
the end product when you finally get the 90 degree push up, but all these little parts that you figure out alongside it, when you do it, you know, take a moment to congratulate yourself to, to recognize that, you know, that's a, another step forward, um, which even when you do the 90 degree push up, it's just another step forward, right? Because then, you know, what's the next one multiples or the the next sort of skills. So yeah, I I really appreciate it. And that's something that I've been trying to remind myself as well as any, every time, like, yeah, I've just, just even something that I've been struggling, struggling with, but then I figure it out, you know, make sure I do a little fist pump, you know, um, and then just, uh, just take, just take a moment. So where, where are you on this 90 degree journey right now? So, yeah, so currently I'm working the 90 degree and um, I'm doing it with uh, straddled legs and um, I had just been working negative um, eccentrics to bent arm planche holds. And then now I'm starting to work on concentrics. But um, what I'm tr- trying to do is just um, go down to um, as low as I can, but it might not be completely horizontal and then push my way back up. So currently I'm able to uh, get the, a rep where my hips might be somewhere in the middle between like, um, a, a deep, a deep, uh, oh, like a, uh, handstand push up, maybe even from the floor. And then like in between like a, that bent arm planche position. So my hips can, can drop down and I'm, uh, I'm kind of, uh, somewhat vertical, uh, somewhat horizontal, but not completely horizontal and then be able to recover to, to come back up. If my hips drop down too, too low. Yeah. Then I, then I get stuck. I find that bent arm planche position that, that hold and producing force where I'm so far forward. Yeah. Extremely difficult. But, uh, if you, if you, if you try, try to practice these uh, dynamic where you use momentum, I think you can you can learn a lot um, by by learning to cheat a bit because yeah. uh, most people when they they actually learn their first ninety degree push up in the bottom position they actually utilize some sort of momentum mm. um, and where I see most people go wrong and get stuck is because they 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 focus too much on this strict hollow body position you know. So uh, in the bottom position, you pull your heels towards the roof, allow yourself to arch a little bit just to sort of initiate the, the um, concentric phase because this is the, the most difficult part. Uh, so, and and w- once you can do this uh, and you can start doing a few rep of them, then, then it's much more easy to sort of strictify your 90 degree push-up because you already got a lot of um, practice through the range of motion and developed a lot of relevant strength. Um, so that, that's at least where I would try to put my focus. Yeah, I think I might try that, you know, sort of next session, try, try these uh, cheat or m- momentum reps yeah. and then and see how it feels. I can see how... And then, it, then, then you can add a block after this where you focus more mm-hmm. on like strict, pure strength, slow controlled range of motion stuff like this uh it's both have value and yeah learning to cheat a little is uh i think an important part of uh the process yeah <laughs> and so how do you think it, um because uh, that 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 part around the technical development and strength you know from a program i mean uh, uh 
like type type structure, like how much volume might you might uh, dedicate to more technical development versus strengths, and then if so, like what what might the elements actually look like? I think you, we've spoken a bit about the technical elements, but from the strengths side, like what are some good tools to help supplement that? Well, yeah, it sort of depends on what specific goals you're having and stuff like this. In this case, um, uh, for example, with a 90-degree push-up, you, you have already the, um, the move itself is both horizontal pushing strength and vertical pushing strength. Um, so uh, in this case, the, this skill alone would be the only bent arm strength maybe some dips uh, if you want sort of a complete um, pushing uh, strength uh, workout but in my opinion if, if you choose to approach this through practicing your deep handstand push-ups and then also practicing the 90 degree specific range of motion then you wouldn't need much more um bent arm pushing strength into your programming, uh, especially if this is like a main goal. And uh, for example, if you start out your, your let's say you're, you're having a push workout and then you can start out after your warm up, obviously with training the, like the technical part of the 90 degree push up where you do some cheating, you try to roll up, you, you try to do control negatives, um, it, it can be beneficial to try and somewhat structure this and get some notes down as of how many tries you're doing and how many tries it takes for you to, to get fatigued. And then you can go back and see if you're progressing uh, in this part of your workout as well. Mm. And then after this part, you, you could focus on the more uh, strength, pure strength related um, exercises dedicated towards learning this skill. So in this case, um, maybe you start off with the most, uh, where you're lacking the most in your case, the, the sort of bottom part, and you focus specifically on this, um, by doing, um, for example, these, um, pseudo planche pushups with, a 90 degree holds or lift offs in the bottom. Mm -hmm. um, and then after this, you, you can do your deep handstand push up training, um, which is most likely also um, where you're lacking the least. But it's nice to keep on par and to progress in this part as well. Mm -hmm. uh, so in this case, you'd have three exercises. And I mean, volume wise, um maybe like five sets of each even uh, if you try to adjust the progression so that it's low reps maybe three to five six uh, repetitions something like that you can even go beyond and do even more volume if if you feel like your body can handle it there's nothing wrong in doing up to even 10 sets uh, depending on how many workouts a week you have um, there's a lot of recent research suggesting that uh, you still see progress uh, by training up to 30, 40 sets per muscle group per week. So if you're a trained athlete, that is. So yep. 
um, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, and and obviously, if you want some some plunge strength in your push workout, if you're doing a push pull split, for example, then if your plunge is not your main goal at the moment, then maybe some plunge training afterwards mm-hmm. um, could be a good idea. Yeah, nice. Thanks for the tips. And um, yeah, I'm just trying to imagine myself doing like 30 or 40 sets of pseudo plunge push-ups afterwards and 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 seeing what happens oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> but the, the, that, that would be total volume per muscle group per week yeah. in this case you'd have overlapping muscles so you need to take this into account and um but let's say let's say you have capacity to do this workout three times a week mm-hmm. and uh let's say you're doing five sets of the technical uh focus exercise then you're doing um five sets of the the um uh, horizontal focus and then five sets of the uh, vertical focus where deep hands and push up stuff like this and then maybe you're doing five sets of some plunge training exercise as well then you have 20 sets in one workout and some degree of overlapping muscle groups uh, which can be a hassle to sort of wrap your head around, especially for calisthenics exercises. And you'd end up with something like 60 sets a week, um, which when you equate for the overlapping uh, muscle groups and stuff like this would maybe be something like, I don't know, 25, 30 sets a week uh, on those relevant muscle groups. So, um, so that would be a decent decent volume uh for some maybe too much for others may be able to push it even a bit further but very individual so like i said it's something that's subject to individualization like yeah. many other things I, I think so i think that's one of the main messages right to take away and like i know even for me like um when i when I've pushed the pushing, especially too much, you know, like there's um, that certain strain just in that anterior delts that, um, uh, and around that connection with with the pec as well, that just really really tightens up. And uh, I know then that okay, like maybe I need to back off a little bit because this is um, yeah. giving me that feedback. Yeah, yeah and and that's also like um, in the beginning, I remember I felt when when I like got very dedicated and started working out almost every day. And all of my uh, training was calisthenics exclusively. Um, I noticed that this sort of every day was shoulder day. Uh, (laughs) And I, I, and I had to take, I had to take like extra rest days just because my shoulders felt so fatigued. Um, but at some point, uh, my shoulders sort of got on par with everything. Um, and when I was doing my, 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 like my shoulders wouldn't get fatigued from not shoulder specific training, if that makes sense. Because yeah. in the beginning, because you use so many muscles in every calisthenic skill, because it's so much more complex than doing isolations with weight training. Um, then you can end up getting um, never getting enough rest on some, let's call them weaknesses um, that will take some time to sort of build up. 
which is also adds to the aspect of uh, the the more trained you get, the more exercise you can fit in because the not specific muscle groups you're training gets to rest more uh, yeah. when you're not training them, if if that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, it, I remember as well, you just like it earlier on. And then, you know, especially when you're trying to do a lot of handstands as well, it just feels like, you know, your shoulders are just copying so much fatigue yeah. all the time. Yeah. But then after a while, yeah, your body does just adapt to all these demands to it, even though you're progressing with uh, more complex and more intense moves as well. You've, you suddenly can go, Oh, like I can do handstands and then also strength skills as well. And all these things overlapping. Whereas at the start, yeah, you know, exactly. you, you're kind of like, Oh, this is just way too much. How am I going to cope with it? <laughs> yeah, that's a very good point. And that's actually, I see a lot of students struggling with this, especially uh, the ones that uh, wants to develop their handstand and their, uh strength skills at the same time um that can be a frustrating process in the beginning because uh, you get so fatigued from handstand training and at some point uh when you've been training handstands for years then a handstand session doesn't need to be fatiguing at all hmm. i mean you should you could always push yourself to fatigue by doing uh, endurance holds of different kinds for example every now and then I, I do endurance holds for one arm handstands where i'm using the wall just to sort of build up more strength um, but if i don't do this uh, i can easily have a one hour one and a half hour uh, handstand session even without getting uh, a sense of fatigue at all um, if, I, if i do it in 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 a certain way yeah. so yeah, they, they, there's a lot of things to <laughs> to consider, and and that is one of them. Yeah. So I want to jump over now to um, uh, this uh, topic around uh, power development, which I mean, you mentioned before, like say for legs, you know, you're focusing a lot on just like your vertical jump um, and, and force production there. So I was wondering, yeah, how do you normally approach developing? Um, speed and power in the body well like with anything else um, the law of specificity if you train speed and power then you you get speed and power right so uh, obviously there there are two uh, there are two sides to the story the more the stronger your muscles are the, the more capacity they have for explosiveness um, so that there's a lot of uh, research suggesting that doing like a combination of uh, developing strength by, by using, for example, in the case of vertical jump, using squats to develop strength, because it's very easy to quantify your progress and to get stronger. And then using plyometric training to, to get the, the specific uh, the, the explosiveness and to sort of transfer your strength over to um, getting more explosive. And when you're doing plyometrics, uh, be it in your legs or plyometric push-ups or whatever, your, your um, ligaments are also loaded quite a lot more. Um, your tendons uh, and a part of getting explosive is also getting stiffer tendons 
which means that you get more prone to injury. Um, so as you get more explosive, your tendons get stiffer and which is, which is helping you get more explosive. But then at the, at the cost of that is uh, getting more prone to, to injury. So, um, it's actually a good idea to also focus on this slow concentric and eccentric type strength training in order to um, get your tendons more, um, a better gradient of stiffness, as it has been shown that slow, uh, slow, high in, or slow and heavy uh, repetitions, they, they can redistribute uh, the, the stiffness and get you a gradient where uh, it's stiffer in the bone, bony part of the tendon and then softer and more flexible at the hmm. um, muscle end of the tendon. So doing a combination of, of these two is, is uh, beneficial both in terms of uh, progressing strength-wise and uh, explosive-wise as well as uh, injury-wise. So say if, um, yeah, you're, you're doing a leg session and you wanted to develop this, like, um, how would, would you focus like on the plyometrics first and then the squats or like they, um, uh, the, the squat, the squats f first, uh, developing that, that slow I, I, would also, strength? I, I would always do the plyometrics first, just because it's, uh, much more, um, uh, exhausting, uh, both mentally uh, as well. And you need to be much more stricter in terms of technical um, performance because it's, um, it's got a much more, uh, it's much easier to get injured when you're doing things dynamically, fast, explosive, uh, stuff like this. Uh, so it's better to be rested both mentally and um muscular in uh, when you're doing these uh, explosive moves of any kind yeah and so say for jump um, training do you have any sort of particular uh, drills that you are fond of for developing the vertical joint for for the plyometrics well um it's it's actually been a while since i did did um a cycle for it um, but um, I do enjoy um, these uh, I'm not even sure what to call them uh, but let's say you, you have a bench or, or elevated surface of any kind about knee height and then you do sort of lunges um, or not lunges you sort of step onto it with one leg and then jump as high as you can land on the same leg and you repeat until it's not explosive anymore uh, where, where you can also add weights in you can like hand in your hands uh, you can use uh, free weights or uh, whatever um, to to um, increase the load for example um, and this is um, i think a very good drill uh, I never liked the the box jumps because it's so dangerous. <laughs> uh, it's it's very difficult to measure uh, box jumps because 
you also have the aspect of lifting up your legs. The more efficient you get at lifting up your legs, the higher you can box jump as well. Um, but it can be, yeah, um, it, it can also be valuable, of course. And it can also be kind of fun to test yourself with box jumps and stuff like this. Um, but I think it's important to try and at least uh, try and stay with measurable um, variations here too. In, in, the, in the example I provided uh, with, you know, these step jumps or whatever you want to call them, you could always add some extra loads. And um, as opposed to doing jumps with barbells, which is super dangerous, Mm-hmm. Uh, in this case, you have the you you hold the weights in your hands with pretty low, so it's it's very stable and um, easy to to progress. And it it doesn't take too many reps before you uh, before you feel like you're you're not being explosive anymore. Mm-hmm. So I would load it so much until you can barely barely when you straighten up you barely sort of lift off from the elevated surface okay and then your set is over when you can uh, not even lift up your heel when you're getting up Mm. there's no more explosiveness to it okay so you kind of like yeah overload it to a point where you still get some some lift but yeah you get more stimulus than just your body weight uh, where obviously you go higher but um then yeah, when you jump with just your body weight, then yeah, you'll be a, you'll be used to producing more force there. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but obviously, you can get awesome progress just using your body weight too. It's just that this way, it's much more measurable. It's easy easier to force progress. Uh, you're like, um, yeah, because it's difficult to measure how high you're jumping um, unless you have a lot of technical equipment or people to help you out, stuff like this. Um, So if you really want to like um, focus on progressing uh, in an optimal manner, then using measurable exercises is always the way to go. But in the set, you know, I'm not sure if you know, but (laughs) I also do a lot of explosive explosives, um, you know, handstand push up, explosive variations, stuff like this sort of become uh, um, uh, sort of part of uh, my my presence uh, or my speciality or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, um, it's not uh, something I, I structure into my workout uh, to focus on specifically. There is one of these things I maybe start off with half an hour before my workout, just trying different things and um just playing around with it and then on the side focusing on strength so this this half hour where i focus on trying some plyometric moves uh related to handstand push-ups and stuff like this Mm -hmm. is more than enough to sort of transfer my my strength to um to a more explosive and plyometric uh, kind of um skill yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, it's more just this is part of like the um, creative and exploration time that you set aside, and so you 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 normally set aside some dedicated time before the session for the, um, 
for for this type of thing where what you might just have an idea or, or something that you want to try and yes. that's the time yes i always set aside uh, or not always if i if i'm if i don't have time to do anything else and squeeze out the workout that i need to do then that's what i do but i really enjoy just having time uh so setting aside 20 30 40 minutes in the beginning of my workouts where i'm fresh to focus on things that i that i you know came up with uh when going to bed the night before <laughs> <laughs> something i saw on social media you know uh some sometimes you see things and like oh maybe I, I i would be able to do that and maybe you can even develop it further and you you get on this creative train of thoughts so to say um uh, and i enjoy it. that's sort of that's that's sort of um the reward i get for for uh spending so much time developing strength and skill uh, to sort of be able to play around with it be creative and uh, have some fun too. Um, yeah. Is yeah. this something that you've always had um, within your training or this is something more, more recent towards the later years where you recognize, you know, that you wanted to um, spend more time just exploring and, and finding out new ways of doing things. Uh, I would say that subconsciously it's always been a part of my training because it's always been an important part of why I train uh, It's because I, I want to be able to do awesome stuff uh, with my body and I want to be able to be a copycat. I want to see, be able to see someone do something super cool and know that, okay, with a little bit of specific training, I would be able to do that because I have the foundation to be able to do that. Um, uh, so subconsciously that's, that has always been a part of my training, but I think as uh, I sort of got more, skilled in the art of programming and uh, training um, then um, it has become more of a structured and um, a conscious part of my training mm. yeah it's interesting that you put it at the start as well because sometimes when you're approaching training and say it's like um, something that you're it, pushing towards such as, you know, like the, the 90 degree handstand push-up. So for me, you know, I'd be, I wouldn't want to kind of uh, expend too much energy beforehand before going into that, because then I'd be like, oh, maybe it's not going to happen then, then today. So it's interesting, you, you know, that you put a focus so that it's at the start rather than say at the end. Yeah. I mean, it depends on your focus though, but uh, if I were to, practice uh, handstand superman push-ups uh, or clapping push-ups after a pushing session uh, i would be sure to uh, get a face plant first try <laughs> <laughs> and um yeah and, and other times i dedicate this time to to more general acrobatics or just movement inspired patterns uh, that I've seen or that I've imagined uh, trying. Um, so in many cases, it, it's not necessarily uh, at the cost of getting fatigued, mm. while in other cases it might actually be. 
And then, as you say, obviously, the rest of my workout would probably be affected by it. But it doesn't mean that the workout will be less effective. In fact, it might even be a little bit more effective because I get some extra volume in there. Yeah, uh, <laughs> indeed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. From from a from a measurable aspect, it's not mm. optimal because mm. uh, I don't have control over this part where I just mess around. So it's difficult to to note and measure, and then I don't know how fatigued I am starting the next workout. So, but I always I write down in my notes like. Uh, 30 minutes of uh, explosive handstand push-up training so that I when I look back I know that okay I performed not so good in this workout because of that and it shouldn't be a consistent thing that I have half an hour of uh, training where I uh, get fatigued for the workout it's not yeah sometimes um, it's better to structure it differently Mm. Um, but I, I manage it, uh, and I think it uh, it still works. <laughs> so I guess this brings us to, to you know the one arm handstand push up journey, and mm. I was I just wanted to ask you know uh, the latest update on that as and you know and I'm guessing this was one of the things that you dreamed up um, as well. So how has that been been going? Uh, yeah, what are your thoughts around it at the moment? Well, it's, uh, it's been going quite well, uh, but slower and slower as expected. Um, because in the beginning it was a lot of, um, progress to be made technically speaking, like technique wise. Um, uh, but as my technique uh, got more efficient, then it was more, uh, a problem of strength and developing more strength. Uh, so that's pretty much where I'm at. And um, I'm using finger-assisted variations. Mm-hmm. Uh, my fingers aren't that strong. So uh, <laughs> uh, I think last I, I tried to check, I used like um, scale on the assisting hand with one finger. And I measured about 15 kilograms of assistance, which is still quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was a bit over a year ago, I think. Um, and since then, I've gone from being able to do one repetition of one finger assisted, one arm handstand push up, <laughs> to uh, I think six repetitions uh, is my max. Um, yeah, but obviously, there's a bit of luck and technique uh, in the picture as well. Not that that's not, it's not like 600% increase in. Uh, <laughs> pure strength that would be ridiculous Um, (laughs) but now I'm sort of because I I remember very well struggling to get from two finger assisted to one finger assisted and how I kept failing when trying one finger and then suddenly I was able to do one finger and now I'm at that point with uh, pinky finger my pinky finger at least I've tried on the scale to measure how much I can possibly produce by pushing it down and it's somewhere uh, around seven kilograms Uh, my pinky finger is not very strong (laughs) (laughs) Um, and yeah uh, I'm I'm feeling 
close to the point where I'll be able to do a pinky assisted one arm hand sample shot. And if I, if I, when I'm able to do it, if I'm then able to build that up to, let's say five, six repetitions, then I would claim that it's not too far away from an actual one arm hand sample shot, but time mm. will tell. <laughs> How are you going from left to right? Is there much difference or there's, it's quite, it's quite yeah, even? Yeah, there's actually quite a big difference. Yeah. Uh, I'm right-handed, but my left arm is much stronger and or more proficient in the range of motion, uh, technically speaking. My one-arm handstand is also much better on my left arm, uh, even though I'm right-handed. Um, but that seems to be quite a common thing uh, from what I've uh, seen. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not like, uh, it's lagging too far behind, but it's definitely noticeable. I'm still using two finger assisted, uh, variations for the one arm has and pushups on my right arm, whereas one finger assisted on my left arm. Well, with your rate of progress, yeah, hopefully another year would pass and maybe, maybe it might be time for, for that pinky to just, you know, sneak off a little bit and, and see what happens, yeah. right? <laughs> Hopefully. Um, time will tell, I guess. Um, yeah. But it would be pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. Well, I think we're all looking forward to that moment where um, that, that next stage to, as to, to whatever will happen. Because um, I think, yeah. I'm not sure if you classify that. I, I think I've seen someone go from one arm, like, straddle hands down to croc and then back up yeah. again that's really common uh like circus or common is an overstatement <laughs> uh, <laughs> not a lot of people are able to do that uh <clears throat> sorry do that around the world um but yeah it's not um it's uh, not a rare thing to see in mm. proficient uh, hand balancers from the circus community mm. uh, these crocs to handstand it's totally different uh, kind of loading um, mm. and you usually see them do it with quite a lot of momentum uh, I'm also practicing this by the way um, uh, but, mm. and I've been able to do it without managing to balance the top quite yet yeah um, so it's it's also an awesome skill that that's definitely on my list of goals mm -hmm. but I have seen one one guy actually do it almost statically um this croc to handstand it includes it's uh, i don't remember his name it's i think it's a mexican hand balancer and he's freaking insane um and i wish i could provide some uh, details for people to see this clip but I don't even know where to find it. I just remember seeing it. Mm. Uh, so yeah, if someone out there knows, uh, yeah. send me a link so I can save it in a in a in a place and uh, watch it uh, <laughs> on a regular basis for inspiration. But yeah, it uses some kind of weird twisting motion from the croc, and it looks uh, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, I can imagine like if no men momentum from that, it's uh, kind of looks otherworldly, right? So, yeah. Uh, um, well, well, 
it's been wonderful connecting with you today, Sandra. I really appreciate, you know, all the t- time uh, that we've spent chatting through all these, um, you know, training challenges that I think hopefully a lot of people out there are, are facing. Um, but um, yeah, I just wanted to also ask you, you know, for uh, developments upcoming in uh, potentially in your life uh, and, and for Berg movement, you know, what's upcoming um, for listeners to hear about, say, in the next six to, to 12 months? Well, next six to 12 months, probably a lot. <laughs> uh, I'm always updating my app with uh, new programs and skill modules and stuff like this. Um, so, um, and there is already, I think, 40 different programs uh, in my app because I, I know it can be a lot for people uh, to, to take in and what to choose, but I do have like quizzes and stuff for people to get some help and it shouldn't be too, too difficult, but I, I really want to emphasize the individuality of training. So I also support uh, my, my app and programs with articles on how to, to further individualize each programs. Each programs are available in different splits and also different levels for different programs, because as we already talked about, the, the, the stronger and, and more trained we get, the, the more volume we are able to handle and stuff like this. So uh, I will keep developing this and the app will also get much more features. There's an update coming this week with some additions to the acrobatics program uh, in the app because I have programs for both strength, uh, hand balancing, acrobatics, some combined programs, um, depending on what goals people have. And um, yeah, a few like additional nice features, like being able to switch out progressions when inside workout environment, sort of difficult to explain without having (laughs) the app in front of you, I guess, but uh, a lot of exciting things happen happening. And yeah, I'm also working on an exciting secret project, (laughs) uh, an app I'm building from scratch myself. Um, oh, wow. which is also a carryover from my engineering uh, background, uh, having some experience with programming and stuff. Um, because the, the, pro- the, the app that I'm currently delivering my programs through is uh, from a third-party service, um, which has been great so far. Um, but this new secret project of mine will be revolutionary. <laughs> <laughs> No, no, it's 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 sort of a passion project of mine and something that I've always wanted and never uh, had. So I want to give this to to others. Um, And uh, yeah, I also want to mention that if if anyone is considering trying out my programs or whatever, um, the the price of the app is um it's not necessarily fixed uh, because i have this um application process where people can apply for for either discounts or scholarships based on where in the world they live because i mean uh it's yeah, sort of a flexible uh pricing scheme so to say because it's obvious that someone from south america doesn't have the same um economic stability as 
let's say a fellow Norwegian uh, or uh, someone from the US for that sake. So um, I want, I, I try to, I want it to be available for as many as possible. So regardless, you can also apply for custom discounts or scholarships where you get it for free um, so that people know that um, it shouldn't be a matter of uh, being rich or not. <laughs> well, that's wonderful. Yeah, um, I think that's really great that you acknowledge that because um, this style of training as well is spreading the whole world over. And, uh, you know, I think we do have to be mindful that not everyone is comes from a certain country that you may be born from as, as well, but really wants to dive into this training and be exposed to a, a high level of um, guidance uh, as well. So yeah, I really appreciate that uh, you have that mechanism for people out there to, to not have that as a barrier to entry. Yeah. yeah that, that's the idea anyways. Um, and yeah, other than this, uh, obviously, once I finish my PhD, I will have a lot more time on, in my, on my hands to do more YouTube tutorial as well. I try to, try to do detailed tutorials uh, in a way that's not, uh, yeah, I try to stay away from the clickbaity uh, thing and the unproductive uh, things that people think they want. Uh, so I try to... Uh, provide um, information that I think people need <laughs> uh, rather than the, I, I would probably get a lot more views if I posted a video planche, get your planche in, in uh, three months or, <laughs> or I mean, even four weeks, that's what they do now. Right. Um, but I try to stay realistic. Um, so if you, uh, watch my tutorials maybe you'll get more discouraged than uh, some of these other ones but uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think um, in the long term it's better to be realistic and um, than to um, to get disappointed yeah definitely um, and if there's one thing I take away from this conversation it's you know like uh, trust in yourself and that you can do more volume yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, you, you, you can at least try to see if uh, a higher volume is, is good for you yeah. and not be afraid of overtraining just because you had two weeks of exaggerated volume. <laughs> well, wonderful um, to connect with you. I appreciate it. And uh, yeah, thanks very much, Sandra. Well, thank you. Uh, it's been great and uh, it's been an honor um getting invited and uh, yeah I, let's let's connect another time and that's it guys that's episode 69 thanks to sondre for sharing his time and his thoughts with us today and thanks to you guys always for sticking around and listening all the way through to the end of the episode. Remember, if you have any questions, comments, feedback, please feel free to get in touch with me. You can find my details on Instagram, that's at P at P-H-A-O-N-P, or you can jump on the website at thepassivehang.com and shoot me a message there. More episodes to come. I'll see you in the next one.